According to a recent McKinsey and Lean-In study, one in four women are considering leaving the workforce or stepping back from their career paths because the additional demands placed on them due to the pandemic. So, how does this impact our ability to maintain or improve our financial health? In this episode, I speak to Janice Scholl, host of the Money, Career, and Motherhood podcast, about how women can take charge of their financial future during difficult times and the importance of coming together to discuss solutions to the pressing problems facing families today. I wanted to have these conversations out loud to say to other women, hey, look, it's not you. It is really hard. (laughs) And we have to do a better job collectively of teaching each other how to plan, prepare, and execute these transitions as a mom because it's a challenge for all of us. Janice Scholl has spent her entire career talking about money and business. Through her time as a commercial banker, consultant, and mentor to budding entrepreneurs, she helped clients create solid business and financial strategies to help propel their business to success. So, ready to learn more about how women can take charge of their financial future? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. Janice Scholl, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. It's always good to have a conversation mother to mother about different topics that impact our lives. But one of the things that we have in common that we think about a lot is the future, planning for the future, shaping the future from different perspectives. I'll have to always admit that I am not necessarily a financial guru where you might be, but I think we have a lot of great things to talk about today. So I'd first like to learn a little bit more about what's inspired you because you have this great mission to help mothers make maybe more strategic decisions about their finances and really take control of their lives. So what was your inspiration to start your consultancy work and your podcast to help mothers uh, take control of their finances and their lives? Well, it was definitely my own experience with motherhood. There were events along the way and kind of nudges along the way that pushed me in this direction. So it's hard to say that there was just one piece of inspiration, but really I struggled in early motherhood. When I first had my daughter, you know, I was a working professional. I was going to school for my MBA and I had a baby who had some health challenges initially. And I was completely underprepared in many ways for the transition into being a working mother, because I really thought that babies and the way my career would go next was going to go according to the books. And it really didn't. And I had this wonderful experience at University of Michigan working on a project focused on increasing females in top MBA programs. And I realized at that moment that so much of the reason that more women weren't in MBA programs at that time was because of experience with motherhood and what happens in our careers that, you know, perhaps if we knew about how we could prepare better, we could navigate those transitions better. So at that time, I started working with women. I kind of made a promise to myself that I was going to help women in business and in finance. And I worked with a lot of women starting businesses, and I found the same themes just kept repeating over and over. And it was that Women wanted more advisors and mentors that were female. Women were starting businesses, not just because they wanted a different form of income, but because they felt that their corporate work didn't really fit their lifestyle anymore. 
And women were uncomfortable often with money and finance, both in their business and personal life. And then moms don't want money to be the deciding factor in what they do and how they decide to raise their children and run their family. And so it was like this revelation that there's not enough information talking about it with motherhood as the focus. And a lot of us really don't want to think about it. (laughs) Yeah, there's so much truth to that. And I can just relate to a lot of those kind of decisions and a lot of the mindset associated with being a mom and thinking about our own goals in parallel. And how often we might place the goals, the interests, and so forth of our families and our children first. And not even just because that's our desire to do so, but it's also an expectation sometimes that might be placed on women and mothers in particular in society around being a nurturer, putting other people first. And I'm wondering if you've had some experience in the work that you've done with women how that dynamic may have been a challenge for them in trying to seek that either financial independence or maybe venturing into the world of entrepreneurship or advancement in their career. Yes. And there's so many layers to it because, you know, we're all complex beings. And so while we bring our own set of circumstances and beliefs and experiences to date into the decisions that come with money and motherhood, there are still some things that happen along the way that are pretty consistent. And so whether a woman is working or she's a stay-at-home parent, whatever her circumstances are, um, we've got a really complex relationship with money. So to start, you know, culturally, we really place high value on human beings in their financial productivity. So if a woman is working and is doing a great job in her career, and then finds that she needs something different because of her family circumstances or because of her changing preferences as a mother, it's really hard to navigate like these two identities. And I think we forget sometimes that our professional identity usually exists for a long time before our motherhood identity. And it takes some navigation to adjust and really put the puzzle pieces back together with both of those identities as part of our life. So that's the first real challenge. And then the challenge is if we aren't earning as much because we're a stay-at-home parent or because we've taken a step back in our career. It's understanding our self-worth in the context of something other than financial when we live in a financial world and when the need for money is a constant, right? Like we we have to have money to live. We have to have money to survive. Uh, if we do not earn our own income, we are dependent on someone else to support us financially. Um, But understanding how we can actually control our finances, whether or not we're breadwinners, um, whether or not we feel confident in our money management skills is really important no matter what step in the process you're in. Oh, goodness, yes. And I think now, even this point in time in particular during the pandemic, when many mothers are experiencing additional load in relation to potentially schooling their children at home, making very important decisions about their education and their well-being now that they understand the impact. And all of us, I think all the mothers that I've spoken to are thinking a lot about the impact of social withdrawal Mm -hmm. for their kids and how that's impacted them during the pandemic. 
And the interesting balance that we feel we need to achieve between their physical safety or making sure they don't become ill uh, versus their mental well-being because of the fact simply they're isolated from their friends and that's becoming very challenging for them. Yes. But one of the really interesting statistics and that kind of dynamic that's come out over the last couple months, and this has been reported in CNBC, ABC News and others, is that women are either dropping out of the labor workforce uh, significantly over the last couple of months or considering to do so. Yes. CNBC reported 865,000 women dropping out of the labor force um, in September alone. And then also reporting one in four women are considering either altering their career path or leaving the workplace or downshifting their careers uh, at this point in time, given the additional load that they're bearing in motherhood in particular. So I'm interested to know kind of your perspective on that dynamic. Yeah. And, and if anyone wants to look into the details of that research, Lean In and McKinsey have a great report on this. And they've been running this report for years, but this year is just so phenomenally different. And, you know, so much of the news about this is really negative. We, we're talking about how COVID situation is really a huge setback in all of the gains women have made in recent decades. And I have to balance that fear and that disappointment with the fact that these challenges existed before COVID. They have just been magnified. And absolutely, there's not a single mother I know who is confident and comfortable with their home and work life. Like there's just nobody out there. Right. Um, companies are saying that in remote workers' productivity is going up. Well, that's not the case for moms. That's the case for other people who don't have young children at home who are still tied to their education. Because the reality is we all have the same 24 hours of the day. So if we are doing that much more with our kids right now, it is a reality that something's got to give. And you know, it's it's so hard because there's this systemic issue that we don't want to lose all of the progress that we've made. But at the same time, women are facing real constraints in their households that they can't fix. Like individual women can't decide, well, I'm going to do this for society because they're literally just trying to manage hours through the day. And so that concerns me. But but what I said about these things existed before was this wasn't very different from what I was talking to mothers about in the past. And, you know, there's a term called greedy professions. And so women who worked in professions where lots of hours were required and, you know, you were really your time was not owned by you. You were owned by the schedule of your clients or your employer or things like that. Had a real struggle before this situation happened. And it it's not new that women were taking on more of the family burden than their spouses most of the time. So the the silver lining in this to me is that we're now talking about something that existed because we've reached this point of capitulation. So yes, I'm concerned about what's to come and the impact to women long-term in the workforce because of this, but I'm happy that we're having this dialogue because this is something that we were often only having in private and that's why I feel compelled to do the work that I do. You know, I decided to do this before COVID, but 
I wanted to have these conversations out loud to say to other women, hey, look, it's not you. It is really hard. (laughs) And we have to do a better job collectively of teaching each other how to plan, prepare, and execute these transitions as a mom because it's a challenge for all of us. Mm. Yeah, I love the work that you're doing because of the fact it really takes people out of that space because a lot of times moms feel isolated. They feel alone, maybe unsupported because they feel like they need to support other people. They don't always get the support that they need through these challenging circumstances they're in. So I love the fact you bring up an acknowledgement of what folks are experiencing, especially women and mothers are experiencing today because of the pandemic. But there's also a silver lining or a light at the end of the tunnel that you can continue to work together towards shaping something better for women in the workplace in the future and also probably for women that are considering entrepreneurship because that's another interesting dynamic when you really want to reach out there for your ideas and chase that dream but aren't quite sure how to connect where you are today and the challenges we see today and the demands that are placed on us today with achieving that vision that they might see for themselves or for their organizations or companies in the future. Yeah. And, you know, when I was really struggling in early motherhood in trying to figure out what was next for me, I had been a banker for 10 years, right? So being around business owners and entrepreneurship was what I had done for a long time. And so it just felt like such a natural transition for women to start businesses to solve a problem. And by solving a problem, I don't mean your clients, I meant your personal, <laughs> your personal situation. Because we are so experienced, we are so educated, we have so much to offer the world, and we need more gray area. We need the ability to build our gifts to support others in a way that we can complement our family. So to me, entrepreneurship is the most exciting piece that comes with this period of capitulation because there are a lot of women who are saying, look, I can't keep going like I've been, but... I do want to support my family financially, or I need to support my family financially. I have to find a different way. And when we are forced out of our comfort zone to find a different way, that's when we start getting creative. And as you said, you know, there's a lot of women who are like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do next. But there are so many resources out there available to learn how to start a business today. There are so many people like me who are happy to help women start businesses. You know, there's never been a better time to start one. Oh, yeah, that's so true. And I talk about that actually quite a bit on the podcast, that barrier to entry right now for most types of entrepreneurship or even just simply starting a podcast. A barrier to entry is relatively low right now. And so there's an opportunity there as well for women to be able to get started on that path. Beyond just looking for folks like you to help them kind of plan or take that additional first step, what are some of the things that women should do to go get started on that journey, to break down that barrier of fearing that it's going to be too difficult, too financially um, burdensome, or anything along those lines? What's that first step that women should take when they're thinking about taking that journey towards entrepreneurship? So the first thing women want to do is really take a a close look at themselves, do a really great self-assessment. And what you need to do is assess your skills and assess your can'ts and won'ts. When we start thinking about a business, we get really hopeful and a lot of us can get super excited about what it could be, you know, 10 years down the road. And then we try to build this framework for this hypothetical business idea that is way bigger and grander than the reality of our circumstances. And, you know, when we do go looking for information out in the world, 
so much of it is this exciting, you know, well, I had 10,000 clients in my first 15 minutes, right? Like in, in the reality of starting a business is it's kind of a grind and you need to make sure it's complementary to what you need to do and what you want to do. So doing a can't and won't assessment is understanding your personal circumstances. If you can't afford to be without a paycheck for any period of time, that has a dramatic impact on what type of business you're going to start. Number one, you're going to start a side gig. You're not going to just jump in with both feet into entrepreneurship because you can't afford to go without a paycheck yet. Another thing is, you know, if you don't have a lot of capital to invest in a business, you don't want to start something that's super financially intensive to build up. You need to be able to start where you are. So Understanding that, understanding your time, understanding what you actually have to give to the business. I was talking with a woman just the other day about how she had really great plans about her business over the summer when her kids weren't in school because she could get a lot of time done when they were just running around outside playing and doing things. But she really underestimated how much they were going to need her once they started schooling online this fall. And she's had to readjust and pivot her business plan because, you know, she's got a can't situation. She can't help her kids the way that they need help and do what she had originally intended for her business. So understanding your personal constraints are not limiters. They are actually just the boundaries within what you need to create. And then starting small. I am not a fan of going into debt to start a business. I want people to start within their own means. And so maybe you want to have a store one day. Maybe you want to have an online retail business. Buying a lot of things to create a business that you can't afford yet is not the best way to start. You really want to start small within your means so that you have the time to grow into what works. Because it's generally, as a first-time entrepreneur, not the most successful way to create the whole business idea in your mind and then execute. You need to test out with your customers what actually works before you want to invest financially into that. That is such important advice. And I think sometimes we feel pressured to put ourselves into debt or fall into this hustle mentality because a lot of things that we see online are people that are putting in tons of hours investing money. I heard one person in particular who has a pretty well following talking about going in significant debt as they started their business. And I think it applied to people that if you're not willing to do that, you're not all in. Um, I felt that was an irresponsible message. I think what's really important is to think about where you are today and where you want to go and be willing to take that journey step by step without feeling the pressure of people from the outsider, people on social media saying that you should be doing more, you're not doing enough. I think that's a message like me personally, as someone who has ventured out into entrepreneurship or has gone into the podcast and so forth. I felt that pressure that I need to do more, but I also exhausted myself trying to do so and realized that I was going to step all over my values that were most important to me in relation to my family and their needs and my own well-being. Yeah. And you know, you will live someone else's life if you don't draw a line in the sand and say, this is what I won't do. This is what's important to me. And so, you know, 
before you start a business, before you even decide what you want to create, the first question you have to ask is, what are my values? What do I value? And what will or won't I do for my business? Because if you don't create it intentionally, a lot of the times what happens is we recreate the same problems we walked away from in our corporate life. And we end up overworking ourselves and we feel like we're taking time away from our family. And if that was one of the things that drove us out, That's not helpful anyways, even if we are successful in starting our business. So understanding your values, knowing if you decide that you only want your business to be run during the school hours, then build something that you only have to run during the school hours. For women, I think we want to find this great business idea and for it to just be super successful because that's the way it's promoted externally. But the reality is what we want to do is create the structure almost first for ourselves and then say, okay, what can I actually do within this structure? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I can relate to making some mistakes or missteps in that regard. Like for me personally, I've decided to kind of step back and fall into what keeps me well and keeps my family well, you know, as well. (laughs) I use that word too much too often. But I think that's, you're right. Following your values is really important because if you do anything that's going to conflict with your values and your personal needs or the needs of your family or what's important to you, ultimately you're going to lose passion for it and you're not going to be as successful as you could. So thinking about your own personal barriers, um, what you're trying to achieve personally, what's most important to you, keep your eye on the goal. Those things are so important and just kind of cutting out the noise that might be trying to pressure you in a different direction. Yeah. Like adult peer pressure is strong. You know, we we talk oh about gosh. peer pressure with our kids, but adult peer pressure is super strong. It does not go away. I don't know why we thought it did, <laughs> but when you're starting your business or, or whatever you're doing, there is social pressure for us to be a certain level of success. Oh yes. And generally that success is defined by financial success. And we need to take a step back from that. But, you know, I do it too. We, I think it's an active process that we all have to go through to manage that and to kind of tame that beast because the reality is it's hard. Yeah. And I think it's the same kind of scenario too for women who are working for an organization or a corporation who would like to advance their careers. Yes. And I think one of the things that a lot of people see these days, and I've seen this play out in organizations over and over, people being rewarded for overwork. Yes. So they put the extra hours in late at night over the weekends and so forth. Uh, The reality is, is uh, many of us, I'll say parents, and I'm going to give fathers a credit here too, because they often experience some of these similar challenges with trying to balance work and family, just have a different level of expectation sometimes from the outside world or from their organizations. But that being said, organizations that reward people for overwork uh, puts an undue burden or expectation on parents who are trying to care for families, that if they decide to put that extra work into their job, uh, that sometimes takes away from the time or the needs that their families or their children might have. And boy, that's a challenging dynamic for those families and additional pressure that uh, can be difficult to deal with. Yes, absolutely. And you know, the reality is our family is permanent and our job is not. Mm. Um, and I think we all think that we're going to do a better job at what we're not excelling at today, tomorrow. We're always going to do a better job tomorrow. So, you know, for for many of us, it's, well, these are my prime earning years. I've got to really focus on my career. My family will be there later. Mm. And there's others of us where 
maybe for spending or not saving as much as we want to, um, we say, well, we'll save later because, you know, later the kids are going to be gone and I'm going to be in my prime earning years and I'm going to focus on it then. Whatever it is that we're focusing the time on, we've got to realize that you got to invest today in everything. Mm. (laughs) You know, you being a hundred percent all in on your job or being a hundred percent all in on your family and not thinking about money at all today is not the way you want to look at things going forward because, things change and we don't know what we don't know about our future. For instance, most people over the age of 50 will end up experiencing a reduction in income or a job loss that is not their decision. And so many people think, okay, well, later will be my saving years, but unfortunately they aren't. And so if we don't start early, it becomes exponentially more challenging to save in the later years. And then the same thing with if we focus completely on our career, it's only harder to get our kids to talk to us as they grow up if we don't invest the time in our family when they're young. It's so very true. And I love the the fact you put that in the terms of investment. Of course, there are investments that we make of our energy and of our time uh, beyond the financial investments that we make in our lives. And that's one of the things I, I talk about, too, is the importance of managing our energy and where we place that. It's a limited bucket of energy that we all have. And where we decide to spend that energy is really important. We have to make sure it aligns with not only what we want to achieve in life, but also with our personal values as well. Absolutely. And and the way I look at money is that money is a tool that should be aligned with that as well. Our time and our effort and energy are things that we think, okay, well, we should be spending it certain ways, but we often ignore how we think we should be spending our money and we spend it on what everybody else is spending their money on. It's back to that peer pressure. You know, it's just, it's just what we do. It is this thing that I keep hearing from, well, it's just what we do. You know, the kids play soccer. It's just, it's just what we do. And maybe your kids love soccer and maybe it's really important and it's part of your family values, but maybe it's literally just what you do because it's what you do. And when you're investing your money in activities or expenses that don't reinforce your family values, you're letting your money lead you versus leading your money and directing it as a tool. I like to say money is a magnifier Mm. if used properly as a tool for what you believe in and what's important to you as a family. Mm. Gosh, there's so much truth to that too. Um, And I think one of the things that folks struggle with is this desire to start to save for their future. Maybe they've gotten caught in the trap that you just described whether it be the sports trap or the keeping up with the Joneses trap or seeing something on the internet or Amazon's too easy to buy from, whatever whatever it is that folks are dealing with. Yeah. What's the best strategy for someone to take the first step towards you know, making sound investments or starting to save maybe a nest egg for the future? So the first step, I think, is understanding where the money is going. Because if you don't know where your money is going then you can't make intentional decisions about where you would like to redirect it to. (laughs) So a lot of people are like, I have no space. I have no space in my financial needs to save. And I'm telling you, my husband and I have been tracking our spending practically to the dollar for 20 years. And it is shocking how often I forget something (laughs) that we buy. You know, we look back and we're like, man, we spent what last month? What did we do last month? And then we have to look back 
and see, oh, okay, yes, we did this. We went on vacation or we did like, there are so many ways that we're spending and it's not always big dollars like a vacation. It's, oh my gosh, I'm spending how much in lunch every day at work. It's just this unthoughtful spending that makes our money go away before we have the ability to save. So tracking your spending is the first step to actually knowing what is happening in your finances. And you don't have to use a fancy app. You can if you want to, but really all you need is an Excel spreadsheet or a notebook where you're writing down every dollar and then you give it a category of spending and then you also categorize it by wants and needs. Because once we start saying, okay, well, we need a house, we need to do this, but we want cable. We don't have to have the most extensive cable plan, right? We have to stop and say, what does our family need to survive? And what can we squeeze ourselves a little bit on if we choose to? And you only do that in order to give yourself access to something else. So I think a lot of people don't save because it feels really restrictive, right? Like I'm going to take the money that I'm spending today and then I'm not going to be able to spend it today. And I'm going to put it in this abyss that I'm not going to touch for a million years. So the next thing you need to do is build what you're saving for in your mind, whether that's to support your kid's college or to support your retirement and not just retirement in this like idea of retirement. What does retirement really mean to you? What do you want to be doing in retirement? Do you want to not have to work so that you can play with your grandkids or do you want to travel all the time or whatever it is that you enjoy that you want to do, you need to Build that in your mind so that you're saving to something, not just locking away money and taking away from today. Yeah, that's great advice. And I'm going to do something that I don't do probably often enough because my husband listens and he always talks about that I don't talk about him enough on my podcast, but I'm going to publicly give him credit for something right now. And that's the fact that he actually does track our expenses in the way that you're talking about. And so he's able to tell me, you spent how much on coffee last month or you spent how much on going to lunch, like you mentioned, or things like that. I mean, a lot of that was, of course, pre-pandemic spending and that's been (laughs) tapered back now. But I got to say that I greatly appreciate that he goes through those steps and making sure understanding where our money goes, because it helps me be more mindful about my own spending, because you're right. It's so easy to forget about these small purchases, but they definitely add up and make an impact on, you know, on our spending or even just like these subscriptions that you've forgotten about. Yep. Or you forgot to cancel before the 30 days or things like that. Uh, But I also think it adds additional question around uh, debt, right? A lot of it's because of this kind of incremental spending over time. And then all of a sudden you realize you've got a huge credit card debt that you've got to start paying down. What kind of advice would you give to somebody that has found themselves in that circumstance of having more debt than they'd like to have? So first of all, know that it's completely possible for you to work yourself out of that debt. I think a lot of people are in that moment and they feel completely overwhelmed and you feel trapped by the debt. And the feeling of being trapped actually stops us from doing anything. Because we don't see, okay, well, I can pay off $50 this week. We see there's no way I'm going to pay off $80,000 in debt, right? So we stop ourselves before we even start because we feel like we've buried ourselves too deep. So once you once you do the spending track, then you categorize into 
what you're spending on in the wants versus needs. Now you take a step and you say, okay, what is my debt load? What does it look like? What what is my goal to pay off? And what can I do within my financial means to to move that number within a certain time frame? So if you have a huge number of credit cards, pick one to focus on. There are many different methods to decide which one you focus on, whether it's the snowball or the avalanche. I'm pretty indifferent on which you have to know which is more motivating to you crossing off a small one and saying, I've checked that off the box or paying off the highest interest, whatever's going to motivate you, pick that one because one is better than none, even if the math calculation is different. But then saying, okay, well, what can I do within my financial means in the wants category to start to meet this goal? And if you look at your financial means and you don't have anywhere you can cut, you're like, no, literally everything on my list as of today is a need, then you have to look at alternative sources of income. That's when you start thinking, okay, well, do we need to sell some stuff that we're not using anymore? And we can kickstart that way. Or is there something I can do on the side and a little side gig? What can you do to generate that income to meet that goal of that first debt that you want to pay off? And once you start having a little bit of success, even if you make some a couple of hundred dollars in a garage sale and you pay something, you're going to have started. And it's the starting, I think, that is so hard for so many families. Absolutely. Because it is overwhelming sometimes to see a big credit card debt in front of you and how the possibly are we going to chip it down when we see this interest piling on month by month. But I can say too that we've gone through this kind of ebbs and flows on you know paying down credit card debt you know, personally within our family. And it, it feels great <laughs> when you start to chip away and you're like, oh my gosh, look at, we're making progress here. It feels great. It does. And you know, what I talk to a lot of people about these days is the amount of personal risk we all face because, you know, there was a time where we felt like we had more security in what would happen next. We picked a career. If we went to college for a certain career path, we had a pretty good assurance that that was the career path we'd end up in. And we would find a company and we would work for them for a long time and they would support our retirement. And, you know, the, the plan was pretty clear. And of course, things happen, right? You can have medical emergencies, divorces, things would throw people off the plan. But we had a different level of income security. And, you know, risk is so important for people to understand, yet we ignore it. And I think that we're always hopeful for the future and we don't want to think about the risks of that. So if you realize, like, we're in COVID times, income risk is a reality for everyone, whether or not we've been fortunate enough to keep our jobs to date. We are under extreme financial times and we don't have a clear timeline for when things will be I'm not going to call it back to normal I'm going to say stable in the new normal and so reducing debt is reducing your risk because you have more flexibility in what income risk you can tolerate if you have high debt and you have high income f- risk you are you have maximum stress, right? Like it's just that simple. So, you know, if you can't control one variable, which is the income risk right now, you need to minimize your other forms of risk, which would be the debt. 
and then also mitigate that risk by saving for your emergency fund. Such important advice, especially now we're in a time with all the research that's been done around the American debt load and how many families really are just a couple paychecks away from a financial catastrophe or even just having something happen within their personal lives that really create undue, um, unexpected financial burdens. So uh, such great advice to kind of think about how you can chip away at that debt and reduce your your risk for those kind of future uh, financial difficulties that could occur uh, at any point in time. So great advice. Yeah. And a lot of people, they say that we didn't think that something like this could happen. Yeah. And there's so many things I couldn't predict this, right? Like we couldn't predict COVID. There's no way we could have, Um, at least on an individual level. Yes. I think that there were scientists and doctors who were predicting this kind of stuff, but on an individual level, we did not know what was coming. But we can predict that over the course of our lifetime, it's highly likely that we're going to suffer a job loss or due to family circumstances, we're going to have to take a leave or we will suffer a reduction in income. That is very common today. We don't have to predict why. We just have to predict impact and then identify if that impact is so great that it's something that we need to deal with. So that's what I want people to really think about is, hey, I don't need to know the exact circumstances of where things are going to go haywire, but I need to say, hey, if things go haywire, what are our risks and what do we need to account for in that case? Yes. Yeah. So important to think about so many different things for people to prepare for in the future, just in case. It's like you mentioned, some of this is not necessarily inevitable, but certainly is very probable. And so it's something to think about. And one of the things that we can definitely plan for from a risk mitigation perspective is the likelihood that some kind of financial incident will happen in our future. And there are things that we can do today to prepare for that future, which which is good to know, but also pretty empowering. So I'm interested to know, too, and one of the things I ask a lot of my guests is around uh, kind of what we think about when we think about the future. So beyond just kind of the individual impact we might have around our finances and our lives as mothers and families, what are some of the things that you think about for the future? Maybe some things that might concern you about the future. Well, one of the, I mean, I can, I'm concerned about a lot of things right now. <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but but I'm concerned about the world that our kids, um, you know, my oldest is 10. So I'm concerned about what the world will be like for them from a stability standpoint. And that comes from the economic environment and what the work world will be like for them and how do we guide them through education so that they can pick career fields that they'll be able to support themselves. But it's also the polarization of the United States and the collective stress that America feels right now and how we get past this. You know, I'm curious and I'm concerned about how that will translate into future decades and the way their world operates. Because there's a lot of people who say, well, it's going to be really hard for our kids And I just don't want to believe that. I want to believe that we're on the cusp of some really great things because, you know, we're at a time where I think we're talking about a lot of problems that we haven't in the past. And I'm a true believer that the only way that we can solve problems is through dialogue and debate. And so, you know, it concerns me, but at the same time, I try to remain hopeful. Let's talk a little bit about that hope for the future. So what are the things that make you optimistic about the future? Well, what I'm optimistic about is, you know, I think we're reaching this point of capitulation and 
people are saying, okay, what has worked in the past and what we've built up to at this point is not what works. It has not been effective because we are all stressed. We are all in debt. We are not happy. And families are not working well together. You know, we're losing connection with our teens and our college students. We we just have reached this point where people have said, okay, enough is enough. And we have built this life around work. Everything has been around work. And if we can all say enough is enough and we need to rebuild in a way that, you know, brings family and ourselves back into the picture, I'm really excited about what could happen next. And I'm excited about the fact that women have had the conversation about what work life is like for them and that husbands who were doing a great job before of supporting their families in both financially and personally in involvement have seen the hard work that their wives are doing and the husbands who didn't see it before are seeing it and are adapting. And I just heard on a podcast the other day about the impact to men who have not been as involved in the child rearing in their households and the impact of them working from home has had on that experience and their bonding with their kids. We all have areas that we can really benefit from and that's male and female. We just might be coming from it from a different perspective and a different angle. Right. I love that because this definitely is a time of disruption and that disruption is going to be different depending on who you are, what your circumstances are, your own personal perspectives and so forth. But you've also given folks a lot of great information today on how they can start thinking about preparing for their own futures, their family's futures, their financial well-being, which also will lead, of course, to their own personal well-being, being in a better financial state to prepare for things that might come in the future. But I love the fact that you've put a very positive and optimistic tone on this and letting people know, yes, you can take control of these things that seem like they're outside of your control. And that doesn't mean we won't face difficult times and struggles. We all see that, you know, it's all right in our face right now at this moment. As you mentioned before, there's a lot of things going on in the world that are challenging for us to process and lots of distractions around us. But keeping that hope for the future and also holding on to the fact that we each have the ability to help shape a better future for ourselves and for others is something that we can all be optimistic about. Absolutely. So Janice Scholl, Thank you so much for joining me today and providing some amazing information and advice for families out there, especially given this point in time that we're living today. And of course, I just love talking to you. It was an amazing conversation. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. During this conversation, Janice centers on something that many of us know well, the importance of our family's financial health during difficult and unpredictable times. While all of us are facing the economic stress of a global pandemic, women are facing some unique challenges that can amplify the impact. For instance, when we look deeper into the data around unemployment during the pandemic, we see that in September alone, women left the workforce at four times the rate of men. Women were not only making the choice to leave due to the demands of children schooling from home and parent care, 
They were also laid off more frequently due to the large percentage of women working in service-based industries that were hit hard by the pandemic. This awareness is tremendously important to our families, to our education system, and to our overall economy. Women make a tremendous amount of buying decisions for their families, and their financial health is a cornerstone of economic stability. However, there is a silver lining here. As awareness of the issue grows, so does the opportunity for companies to reconsider how their environments can help women succeed. There is also an opportunity for us to be aware of the importance of female entrepreneurs and women-owned startups, especially those run by women of color. But most importantly, having the conversations and working together to shape solutions will help all of us shape a better future together. So go on, go help shape the future. To learn more about Janice Scholl, check out her amazing podcast, The Money, Career, and Motherhood Podcast at moneycareermotherhood.com. That's moneycareermotherhood.com. You can also find her podcast on Apple Podcasts or other major streaming platforms. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Episode notes can be found at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.